Amen. Thanks, Amy. Good morning, North Star family. Happy Sunday, Summer Sunday. Uh, before I jump into the message, I just want to echo what Amy was just saying and thank this community. This summer, you've been sending teams to Monterey, you've been sending teams to Nigeria, and I love when this body and all that you've spent the year thinking and growing and, and exercising, and when you go and sow that kind of culture and seed into the places that are important to me, if I haven't met you yet, my day job is with Back to Back Ministries, and so I just love when our community cross in those ways and I pray that as those teams come back here and continue in the body life that we have here that they will uh, bring with them all the insight that God gave them there so it's just it feels like kingdom math one plus one always equal in more than two so uh, pray for that mother-daughter team this week well, I am happy to be joining the Disqualified series. Cody kicked us off last weekend. If you are new, again, we're in a reading program and we're in the book of Matthew. So we're gonna be talking today out of the book of Matthew. And the question we'll be asking, the central question is, is there anything that we can do that disqualifies us from being in God's family? Uh, last week, Cody talked to us about how Matthew was a tax collector and how with that title came stigma. And I was thinking about when I was listening to him, how often we do that in 2023. We reduce people to labels that are based on their behavior, these one-dimensional caricatures, like, like he's a cheater, she's a diva, like something we might know about them, and we label them. And, we, and for Matthew, he was a tax collector. And so whatever it is that sometimes you wrestle with not wearing like your identity, the question for us is still the same today as it was for Matthew. Do we have the right to do ministry alongside of Jesus? Because, because, like, I think I, w I was thinking to myself on the way here, um, how often we grade ourselves. Like, Jesus, I'm like, I mean, this week I'm like an eight out of 10. This week I'm like, I got like a 75% score. Like, I'll speak for you, but not so, I won't be so bold. I will, like, like, or if I have a really good week, like I seemingly put to death some of my sin nature or, you know, like I had attendance at Bible study or whatever, like something that feels like I got bonus points for it. I'm like, Jesus, I'm like, I'm really good today. Like, like pick me. We have this way of, of counting and grading and measuring and determining whether or not we can or cannot speak for God, work with God, be associated with him. Jesus wants to put to rest this question. God ta started talking about it as early as the book of Genesis, right? I mean, I love how he always picked the kind of least likely people in the most, like, hilarious of stories like Moses had a speech impediment and he's picked him to speak on God's behalf and you have David who who toppled a giant when he was just a boy and you have Abraham who's old who's going to birth a nation and a prostitute who's going to save God's people and you have you have Peter the denier who's going to then usher in the Holy Spirit or Paul the persecutor of Christians who's going to build God's church. He always did that. He called people way too old and way too young. He called people who were thieves and murderers and all manners of sinners. And so it's, it's okay that we're asking the question, but he might be thinking to himself, I've literally been telling you this from the very beginning. If you wonder if you are rendered ineligible, I'm telling you, I like those kinds. I like to use ill-equipped, immature, unlikely, cast out, given up on. Those are my favorite kind of people. Those are my favorite kind of people. By the time Jesus comes into his 
earthly ministry, he is ready to put this question to rest. He's, he's going to be overt about it. He looks at people in ways that turn our own kind of thinking upside down. Like Jesus was constantly engaging and visiting and hosting and inviting those that were otherwise considered outside or disqualified because he wants us to get this. It is him and not us that qualifies us. It's it's not our experience or our gifts or our efforts or our past or our pedigree or our accomplishments. God is simply looking for two things. Are you faithful and are you available? All the rest of it ends up being on him. Today's passage comes from Matthew chapter four. You might've read it in the reading this week, but let me read it with us together. It starts in verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew. And I was thinking to myself, like, what did he see when he saw them? Like, what's he looking for? Is it any different than what he's looking for today? We, when we look at people, we look at the outward appearance, but our Bibles tell us that God is always looking at the heart. It's not, he doesn't look the way that we look, which is like both kind of simultaneously relieving and terrifying that he's looking at my heart. We can't hide from him. Hebrews will tell us, no creature is hidden from his sight. We're all naked and exposed before the one that we will one day give account. So when he looks at us, he's really seeing us. We, don't, we can't pretend or posture or put lipstick on or change our costume. There's nothing we can do to look better. When he looks at us, he's looking at our heart. He knows exactly what he's getting when he calls you. And one thing that I love, we'll talk about this maybe in a minute, but the other thing I was thinking about on my way here from Westchester a minute ago was we get stuck on a day, like June 9th, 2023, how am I doing? God is not stuck in any given day. He's looking at our whole life at one time. He knows exactly where we've been. He knows exactly what we're up to right now. Nothing is hidden from him. And he knows exactly what he has yet to do for us. And he sees us in glory. He's like, he's got our whole life in his mind's eye at one time. Like he's, he just doesn't look and think the way we do. It goes on in that passage to say they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen, which the, the, the notable thing about that is like, are you kidding me? He, he didn't even, he didn't pick students. All the rabbis picked students. In fact, they picked the best students. These were not somebody's. They were just like, they weren't even in school. They were fishermen. And Jesus came to say, I am disrupting the system. Are you paying attention to me? Later in Acts, we'll read about those men and some of the other men. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. And they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's what Jesus wants us to leave people with the impression of that we have been with him. He doesn't want us to leave them with the, somebody with the impression of what it is that we bring to the table. We don't bring anything to the table. We want to put on display that we can be unschooled and ordinary, but if we've been with Jesus, there's, you're gonna be astonished at what God can do. I found that that has been true so many times. I have seen ordinary, seemingly ordinary people have extraordinary or supernatural courage or wisdom, evidence that they have been with Jesus. In fact, if I haven't met you yet, I was a missionary for 15 years and I found over and over and over and over and over and over again that I was taught by the people I thought I was there teaching. One of the people that is, comes to my mind when I was thinking about this 
Unschooled Ordinary Men was this pastor that we partnered with. For, um, his name was Pastor Jose Angel. He was the pastor in a squatter's village in Mexico where I was living. And Pastor Jose Angel approached us about helping him increase the footprint of his church. It was growing and he wanted to have more space under roofs so that people could get out of that hot Mexican sun and fellowship with each other and hear teaching. And so we made an agreement with him that we would pay for the materials if he and his church would provide the labor. And Jose Angel um, had a sixth grade education and was missing at least three of his front teeth. And we got him the materials and it was taking them the better part of the year to put out the second floor on a building. And it felt like they were kind of stuck at the 80% done mark for quite a while. And the donor who had given us the money for those materials was going to come visit us in Mexico. And I just thought it'd be nice if the whole thing was done. So I called Jose Angel and I'm like, hey, hey, you've been doing a great job this year and I wanna help you get over this last hump and get to the finish line. I'm gonna go ahead and just graciously offer to you some uh, resources for some professional material, some professional um, people who can come help us get to the end. And then when this donor comes, we can have like a ribbon cutting ceremony and it's gonna be awesome and your church is gonna be done. And he got real quiet on the phone for a minute and he's like, oh Beth, you don't understand. You, you know how people are employed in my community, right? Like. These are day laborers, so the men all get up early in the morning and they get dressed and they go out to the edge of that, of that settlement, of that community, and they wait and pick up trucks, pull up with like foremans, and they're looking for day laborers in their field or at their construction site or in their factory, and they look in the crowd and they're like, hey, I'll take you and you and you and you, and they get in the back of the truck and they pull away, and at the end of the morning, those who never got picked to get in the back of somebody's truck walk back to their houses ashamed. They have no work that day ashamed, they have nothing to offer their families. Jose Angel said, I've been using those men to do the labor during the day and I'm feeding them lunch and they're participating and they can go home at the end of that day and feel like they've contributed to their community and they're dirty and they have dignity. And these are men that would never ever come for one of my Bible studies, but they'll spend all day with me. Beth, this has never been about accomplishment. This is about discipleship. And I was like, got it. <laughs> Man, my eyes were fixed on the shiny finished product, on producing something for this donor, for, for like what it was, for the way that I'm wired in my nature, my natural sense, not my supernatural sense, but my natural sense. Like, let's get her done. Let's make it look good. He said, if you make me finish that second floor, I'm starting a third and we don't even need it yet. He was an ordinary, unschooled man who had been with Jesus and he left me astonished. He taught me a lesson that day. Man, he taught me a lesson. That passage goes on to say, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I'll just say the Spirit, just stop me for a second. I, then that's gonna be a really good point. But uh, back to, uh, it's not about accomplishment, it's about discipleship. I think that about most things. What? the way I have lived different since learning that lesson is I often think the thing is about the thing, but it's not actually about the thing that I think it's about. It's about the relationships that happen in the thing. It's about the lessons we learn in the thing. It's about the way God changes my character in the thing. It's the way I get convicted of sin in the thing. It's the way that I feel empowered by a spirit in the thing. It's actually almost never about the thing. And so, <laughs> That's what I think it means to be like Jesus is we stop measuring things with the priorities and perspective of the earth, right? 
I got a couple of football coaches here in the front row and I was just thinking a minute ago, it's actually not about football. It's about discipleship, right? What, whatever your thing is, it's not about that. It's about people. Okay, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they followed their nets and followed him. In my Bible, I have circled those words at once. I am fascinated by the way people responded to Jesus. That kind of instantaneous obedience. Matthew's story, his origin story, will be much like his, uh, his discipleship brothers and that we just described. Matthew would have been called something. It's a Hebrew word that was used loosely by the time Matthew came on the scene. The Hebrew word is mumzer, which would be like the word for outcast. We'll, we'll get into its origin of that word in a few minutes. But by the time Matthew came around, he would have been called a mumzer, an outcast. And I think what's so fascinating is like, I've known for a long time Matthew was a tax collector, but there was a whole big chunk of my life where I was like, what is the big deal? Like, that's like, we got tax collectors today. We're not calling them outcasts. Like, so what? That was his job. He's a tax collector. But if you listened last week to Cody, or if you understand what was happening at the time that Jesus' ministry, Rome was oppressing God's family. And he was tax, Rome was taxing them. And they needed a liaison between the tax system and God's people. And so they would tell some of the Hebrew people, hey, we'll pay you a bunch of money. You're gonna make a bunch of money. If you be our liaison, you tax your people, you give us that money and we'll get you a cut of it. And to say yes to that money meant to say no to your relationships because nobody would like you now. Like you would be, you would have lost your family. At this point, nobody wanted to be around Matthew. He probably lived in the best house in town, but who cares? He had no more relationships. And the other thing, back to my point about how he's looking at our whole life at one time and he's not stuck on any given day and what we're up to. Here is Matthew's origin story, Matthew chapter nine. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector booth. So Matthew was like, actively doing the very thing that would have disqualified him, that would have made him an outcast. It wasn't like, and Jesus came upon Matthew who was weeping about the choices he had made in his life while he was washing in the river. Like, no, he was still sitting in the tax collector booth. But remember, God doesn't look like with the outward appearance, he's looking at the heart. He sees what's going on inside of Matthew's heart. Even if Matthew's not outwardly describing it, Jesus is looking at Matthew's heart and he just looks at him and says, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. He walked away from everything. Walked away from Rome, walked away from money. He walked away. I, I, I just can't say it enough. Literally, nobody would have thought Matthew was a religious superstar. Like, he, on the contrary, he was the utter sellout. And still, he was not disqualified. God picked him. When Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out, I want to make sure you understand this about his very nature. He is a sender outer. He is a, like, uh, hear me loud and clear. He loves you far more than he ever wants to use you, but he does have assignments for us. Our Bible says good works he's prepared in advance for us to do. He wants to partner with us. He tells that to Israel all the way back in the book of Genesis. And he asks if we'll follow him and if we'll go wherever it is that he'll send us. And if we go, if we say yes to Jesus, yes, I'll speak up in my classroom. Yes, I'll go talk to my neighbor. Yes, I'll go to, to another, cross the border. Yes, I'll be honest with my extended family. Yes, yes, I'll go. We can sometimes think like, my authority to, to speak on behalf of God is dependent on my behavior. If I have a really good week, I can totally talk for him because like, 
I mean, look at me. Or if I have a really bad week, I better not speak up for him because if you only knew what I know about what I'm up to, you wouldn't, I shouldn't talk in front of God. We think it is about us. So I wanna teach you a Hebrew word this morning. I don't care if you ever remember the word. I want you to understand the concept. The word for authority in Hebrew is smicha. So our Bible's 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament. We're gonna start this story in the second book of our Bibles. That's the book of Exodus. The main character in the book of Exodus is Moses and God gives Moses smicha. He gives him authority to speak on his behalf. Like you go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, right? And then he gives, puts him up on a mountain and gives him the 10 commandments. Like all kinds of authority God grants to Moses, which is hilarious because he has a speech impediment, to speak on his behalf. And then Moses is discipling somebody whose name is Joshua. And we can read all the kinds of cool things Joshua did in, in his Bible. And when it's time for Moses to give authority to his mentor, Joshua, and then jo Moses and Joshua give it to the 70 elders, stories we can read about in our Bible, they began a tradition that went for the whole rest of our Old Testament up until we're gonna read about it in the book of Matthew. And here's what would happen. Two, two people who had spiritual authority or smiha would have to agree and lay hands on someone that they thought was ready for that kind of authority. And they would, they would like pass it on generation to generation. And the belief system is from Moses to, we're gonna read about John the Baptist, that smiha was passed generation by generation from those who had been given it all the way back since Moses. And so now we're gonna read this passage in the book of Matthew about John the Baptist who was a smihad or an authority rabbi. And we know because only smihad rabbis had disciples and our Bible tells us that John the Baptist had disciples. Torah teachers did not have disciples. So he was not the run of the mill Torah teacher. He was a smihad rabbi. So now we're gonna read who he gives authority to and I promise you, it's gonna blow your mind. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter three, Jesus, was, came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John was like, are you kidding me? Like, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you want me to baptize? <coughs> Why do you want me to baptize you? And Jesus is like, because this is what we gotta do. Let it be so. And so John consented. Don't forget that line. When Jesus asks you to do something, even if it doesn't make sense, consent, okay? Just say, got it, I got it. John consented. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, so John the Baptist would have had to put his hand on Jesus. The smihat rabbi is putting a hand on someone, but if it's gonna be like smiha smiha, if this is like a passing on of spiritual authority, there's gotta be a second hand that's gotta be on Jesus. So let's see who's that second hand. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. That second hand was God. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I love and who I am well pleased. Jesus got his smiha directly from God. And, he, and everyone knew it. He walked and talked like somebody who had authority. In fact, people would say later as he did his ministry, like from where does, like by whose authority is he speaking? And Jesus would say things like, you've heard it said, but I say. He was speaking with authority. He was literally speaking on behalf of God. And what did Jesus do with his smiha, the smiha that God gave him? He gave it away to his disciples. He followed this example all the way back to Moses, where he's like, I'm gonna give it now to the next generation. Matthew 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them smiha. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. This would have been Matthew. 
the mumser, the tax collector. Jesus gave authority. He wasn't disqualified. He was proving himself faithful and available. And then in the most of all, at the end of the book of Matthew, who does he decide to give smiha to before he goes back up into heaven? Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, all smiha in heaven on earth has been given to me. I'm gonna give it to you now, go. Go do four things, go make disciples, baptize and teach them. And I'll be with you till the very end of the age. He has given us smiha. Like this is part of what it means to be in God's family. Our qualifications aren't because of any kind of authority that we earn or garner. It's because it, was all, it has always been his idea that everyone has a part to play. Both genders, all ages, tax collectors, doubters, sinners of every variety, we are all unlikely disciples and yet not one of us is disqualified. He has called us and he is sending us out. It's, the Bible says he doesn't even want one of us to be lost. We cannot let our fears or our insecurities or the opinions of others ever stop us. We are to be faithful and available. And the next generation after Jesus ascended into heaven and he gave the great commission, the next book in our Bible is the book of Acts. It's the story of the building of the first churches. That next generation understood smiha, understood authority, understood this choosing of unlikely disciples, of disrupting the system and at looking at things from, from a kingdom kind of eyes, not measuring the way man measures at the outward appearance, but instead looking for unschooled and ordinary men who are willing to be with Jesus. That next generation is led by Paul, the apostle Paul, and he caught this idea and he picked the most unlikely disciple, a man named Timothy. So Timothy's mom was a woman named Eunice. She was a Jew, grandmother also a Jew. Her name was Lois. But Eunice had relations with a Greek, Timothy's father. And the combination of a Jewish person and a Greek person, the, the result, the fruit of that relationship was actually the origin of the word mumser. It was the offspring of a forbidden sexual relationship, mumser. And the Bible talks about what happens. God was trying to protect his nations from intermarrying with people outside and then allowing those, those people who they intermarried with to bring their gods and influence into God's family. So he was telling them, stay, stay, protect what it is that we're building here and Israel. And you'll see that in our Bibles, it's, mumsers weren't allowed to go to temple school. They weren't allowed to sit in synagogue. They couldn't study the Torah. The, the rabbi would have told, told Eunice, hey, guess what? Like Deuteronomy 23 says, no one born of a forbidden marriage or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord down to the 10th generation. Timothy literally would have been radioactive. His mom would have said to the rabbi, could you circumcise him, please? Rabbi said, I, I can't circumcise him. We'll read later, Paul will do that for Timothy. He, he could only have married another mumser. It literally would have felt like his identity. He was a mumser. And yet we'll read later in a letter written to Timothy, this is in 2 Timothy chapter three, that from his infancy, he knew the Holy Scriptures. Like how in the world is that possible? He couldn't have ever gone to school, couldn't have ever gone to temple or synagogue, couldn't, could not have ever been in any kind of formal education. There aren't very many options on how he learned the Bible from an early age. Maybe Eunice or Lois had it memorized, maybe. And maybe they taught their, their son or grandson directly. 
Maybe because it would have been open air kind of school, maybe Timothy sat outside the window of where the instruction was happening and he just like listened in, like eavesdropped on class. It didn't count for anything, but he was there learning the scriptures. Once a week, the Torah was read publicly on the stairs. Maybe, maybe he just really paid attention once a week to what, it, what was being said. As I was thinking about all the potential possibilities of how Timothy learned the scriptures, it reminded me of this story. And Back to Back has a community center in Cancun where we serve. And there's a woman in the community that is where our center is that was known to be very angry. I mean, she was an angry woman. She had two kind of late elementary age kids. And uh, our staff reached out to her several times, but she did not trust Americans even a tiny bit, and she wanted nothing to do with anything that we had going on. And uh, she was not only resistant, she was actually, frankly, hostile. And then, eventually, she got desperate because her late elementary-aged children couldn't read, and she knew that they needed the literacy classes that were being provided at the community center. So she came in one day and said, you can teach my kids to read, but they're never leaving my sight. Wherever they are, I'm gonna sit outside the room. I'm like, I'm not leaving them ever with you. And so we said, okay. So like while her two kids were in a classroom with our teacher, Sandy, her name, the mom's name was Maria. She just stood outside the window and watched what was happening with her kids during the whole class. And Sandy would later tell me that the first couple of weeks, Maria was just watching her children in class, but eventually she started paying attention to the blackboard because Maria was illiterate. And that's what created the desperation in her because she couldn't help her kids. And she knew that we could. So she started to pay attention to the blackboard so that teacher, Sandy, one day before class left a notebook outside the window so that Maria would know she could take notes if she wanted to. And Maria started to write the letters down and the sounds and put those letters and sounds together to make words and and that mama learned how to read. And at the community center, we ask anybody, any parent whose children participate in our classes, the parents also have to participate in classes in order to make them eligible. So she had to go to finance classes and cooking classes and Bible classes. And she told the Bible teacher, I don't want you telling me what you think God says about me. I know how to read now, so give me my own Bible. I'll just read it myself. <laughs> and uh, and uh, gosh, she, she read that Bible and uh, has since been baptized and now worships uh, with her children. And, um, you know, she went to our maker's class and learned how to make stuff and now uh, provides for her family. And uh, when I talked to her, uh, she told me, I said something about how she's building a new future. And she said, I'm not just building a future. I'm actually rebuilding my broken past. And, uh, she said, I was pretty angry and scared, but God had so much waiting for me. And then the next thing she said, I wrote down because I couldn't, I almost couldn't breathe for a second, but she just said, sometimes all we need to turn things around is an invitation. I just spoke last hour over at Westchester and before I got up to share, I was listening to their announcements and they were this afternoon gonna go to a community in Westchester and just knock on doors, kind of like we do here in Loveland on Saturday mornings, a community called North Point. And the person making the announcement was like, hey, all we're gonna do is make an invitation. And when I read this line, sometimes all we need to do to, to turn things around is an invitation, I got very emotional over there. And I'm like, hey, listen, like, this is not what you bring to the table. It's not gonna be how pretty you make it sound, how lovely you make it sound, what small talk you make beforehand. Well, like, 
Nobody cares if you did your reading plan this week. Like, listen, God wants to partner with people who are faithful and available. Make the invitation. God healed Maria's heart. God taught her to read. God inspired her to come. God is helping her be a good parent. God is giving her a vision for the future. Nobody else gets credit for that. God wants to, he is the star of the story. He is literally just looking for us to be faithful and available. And I, I just want us community North Star community. I want us to be people who are extending invitations to others because somebody first extended it to us. I want us to be invitational kind of people. God says our identity is found in him. We have this spiritual enemy and he wants us to wear the labels of the things that have either happened to us or things that we have done. Like in her case, illiterate or single mother. Matthew's case, tax collector. Mumser, in Timothy's case, illegitimate, Mumser. But the word of God, it's powerful. The spirit of God, it's powerful. And it does something in angry single mothers and illegitimate children and vulnerable kids. It does something. So here is Timothy growing up, understanding the scripture, and then this, this superstar comes to, this, to his town, Paul. And everybody knows at this point who Paul is. And Timothy lives in Lystra. So this is Paul's second time actually to his hometown. And this time he's looking for a disciple. And everyone's like, okay, pick me, pick me, pick me. And like, we're all lined up like a kickball in your recess. Like, hey, by the way, like I got first in my class. Hey, by the way, I've already been practicing preaching. Hey, by the way, I was the first person that memorized the book of whatever. Like, like those potential disciples would have been excited about putting forth their qualifications, hoping that Paul would pick them. Acts 16, it says, Paul came to Lystra. There was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, father of a Greek. Everybody has to know he's a mumser. And he was well spoken of by the brothers there. So Paul must have been thinking, how in the world is this mumser being well spoken of? That's not what happens. They're radioactive. Who is this kid? And I just want you to imagine those, those potential disciples lined up and Paul's like, um, hey, are you, are you Timothy? I've been hearing about you. Um, I, I'm gonna pick you. Why don't you come with me? I want you to be my disciple. And Timothy was probably like, hey, in case you haven't heard because you're new here in town, I'm the mumser. You probably don't want me. I'm just here to watch what's happening, right? Paul will later write to, to, go, to the town of Galatia, like, guess what? There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. All of us are one in Christ. There are no mumsers in Jesus. You are not disqualified. And then picture with me in your mind's eye, like a movie scene, Timothy running home like, mom, grandma, like Paul picked me. Goodbye, I'm gonna go be his disciples. Who knows where we're headed? You did it. You, like, I, I know his word. I will be faithful to him. I will be available to God. He was literally the least likely choice, which is God's favorite kind, just like you and me, right? Just like Matthew. The PS on Timothy is, <laughs> Paul would eventually send him to Ephesus, which would be like New York City. And that, that, like the biggest, most powerful city in Asia Minor. And those people, they did not wanna hear stories about like fishes and loaves and walking on water and some guy that like raised from the dead. They had their own gods with legends that were much bigger than that. So how do you think this mumser, who has known his Bible since he was a child, what do you think his business plan was for, for capturing Ephesus for Christ? He started a bunch of little house churches and he invited the least likely people into them. Slaves, single moms, illiterate people. He brought the least likely people into these very welcoming environments, these invitational spaces 
where anybody could come and anybody could learn the scriptures. We would have loved to attend his church in Ephesus. We would recognize it. It's exactly what we're trying to do here at North Star. It's what we aspire to. I want you to hear us loud and clear. This is a church that is a home for absolutely everyone. No matter how seemingly disqualified you may feel, this is a place you can come and learn the scriptures. We'll trust God to do the rest. Those house churches eventually consolidated until Ephesus became the biggest church in Asia Minor, toppled the faith that was there before Timothy ever got there. When God looked at Timothy, whether he was outside that window, when he was rejected from being circumcised, God did not look at Timothy at that one point in time like, bummer who your dad is. You actually now can do nothing for me. God was looking at Timothy's entire life at one time like, hold on, buddy, you cannot believe what we're gonna do in Ephesus. It's gonna be unbelievable. We are not qualified by our talents. We are not qualified by our IQ. The problem with thinking we might be qualified or unqualified is we might then end up trying to take credit when God is really clear from the very beginning of his Bible when he talks about faithfulness in Abraham in Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation where he says, be faithful till death and I'll give you the crown of life. He wants us to be faithful. Back to Back Ministries has a relationship with the Tim Tebow Foundation and the first time I met Tim Tebow, he was in his, when he was playing baseball and Todd and I drove up to have dinner with him and I remember telling Todd after, on the way up there like, hey, I mean, he's like been playing like baseball all day today. I bet this dinner will be like a quick little meet and greet and like no big deal. And uh, we, I was prepared to be really impressed by him because like his stature is impressive. The whole like Heisman Trophy as a sophomore thing is impressive. Like he's Tim Tebow, he's a quiet, and like I was just prepared to be impressed. We started our dinner at eight o'clock at night and at 2.30 in the morning, we were still at the restaurant. And for six and a half hours, you know what we talked about? Not his football stats, not how many pounds he can bench press. We literally talked about Jesus for six and a half hours. And I left there more impressed with Jesus than I was with Tim. And I, I think to myself, this is exactly, this, this takes us back to where we were in the beginning with the book of Acts. Like when you see the courage of ordinary men, you get astonished, not by them. You get astonished about what it looks like to be with someone who has been with Jesus. Like everyone today is trying to be so clever. They're trying to be known and noticed. But instead, I'm telling you, be faithful church. God honors obedience. The PS on Matthew is uh, after, well, first of all, he stepped into his calling. He wore that smiha and he silenced any voices that would render him unqualified. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, he began to take that smiha and that good news of the gospel and he went out to Persia. Eventually, he went to Ethiopia. I just want you to imagine in a day and time when not an airplane took him to Ethiopia, what it was like for him to go from Jerusalem to Africa. I was in Africa last week. I've been there 20 times and I get culture shock every single time, it is so different. What was that like for young Matthew? to have to silence the voices enough to have the courage to go to Africa and tell people in Ethiopia about Jesus. It is there believed, we, we know from history, that he was martyred there by being stabbed to death. When Jesus looked at him in that tax collector booth, Matthew chapter nine, and said, come, follow me. Jesus knew in his mind's eye, you're gonna take the story I'm about to tell you and you're gonna go to a whole nother continent and nothing will be the same again. You cannot believe what I'm gonna do through you, Matthew. Don't, don't look back, 
Don't worry about where you've come from. Don't worry about the choices that you have made. I pick you and I know exactly what I'm getting. I know exactly what I'm getting. Mumser Timothy was disqualified because of something that he actually had no control over. And he goes on to be the pastor of the largest church in Asia Minor and Mumser Matthew is seemingly disqualified because of a choice he absolutely had power over. And he goes on to carry the gospel and we're still talking about him today. Both of these disciples are men that we study and that we model today. They honor Jesus and, they, and we honor the Jesus that they died serving by loving other people well, by inviting them, by speaking up, by reaching out, by not seeking the approval of others and by obeying without hesitation. At once, they dropped their nets. John consented at once when Jesus told him what was gonna happen. And so I don't, I don't know what kind of questions you came here with today regarding your qualifications or the calling God has for you or the way he wants to partner with you or the good works he's prepared in advance for you to do. But I promise you, he has given you smiha. You have authority in him. He wants you in his family. Not even one does he want to be lost. He has plans for you. He has good works and good stories and chapters yet to come. So I'm telling you, church, if you hear nothing else today, go, hear the word go, go, go be invitational, go be bold, go, go, go. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, it's so never about the thing. I think about the things that occupy our minds and our to-do lists, the things that we're ambitious for and that we have an appetite for. It is not about the thing. Teach us to have eyes. Teach us to be in your company. Teach us, Jesus, what it looks like to love you and follow you at once and without hesitation and to trust and be available. And Lord, it is with the smiha, the authority that you give me as a co-heir with you, that I ask with boldness that you would release an anointing on this whole community, that wherever it is that they go, whatever relationships that they engage with, whatever calling you have for them, whatever assignments and good works you prepared in advance for them to do, that they would do it with boldness, faithfulness, leaving all the results and all the work and all the story and all the glory in your hands, Lord Jesus. May you find us a faithful people. And I pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Um, I love how Beth talked about that everybody has a part to play and that um, the disciples obeyed God without hesitation. And I, I really wonder what was going on in their minds in that moment, right? I feel like if it, if it was me, I'd be like, me, God? I'm just a fisherman or I'm, I'm, I'm just a tax collector and you're choosing me and calling me to follow you. And I probably would have had a lot of questions of fear and like insecurity in my mind at that point. Like what if I leave this job behind and I go and follow Jesus and I run out of money and I'm not able to go and get my job back? Or what if, what if God thinks he sees something in me and then I go out and follow him and he realizes, you know, maybe, Maybe this guy didn't have as, as much as I thought. You know, that's, that's, that's the fear that I would be feeling in that moment. But regardless of whether or not the disciples were feeling that, that fear, they saw Jesus come to them and call them. And immediately, without hesitation, they dropped what they were doing and they got up 
and they followed Jesus. They left their lives behind. They left their fears behind even. So even if they were feeling that fear, they, they put it aside and said, you know, God has called me, so I'm going to get up and I'm going to follow Jesus. And they stepped into situations where they couldn't have trust in themselves and their own abilities anymore. They had to lay all that to rest and they had to fully cling to Jesus and just fully obey and step into situations where they could only trust him. They couldn't trust anything else. So we're gonna have um, prayer teams come up and we're gonna have communion up here in the front and in the back. And I just wanna encourage you, if you are feeling called into something, but you're holding on to something that you feel like is, is holding you back or you're holding on to some fear, just bring that to our prayer teams or bring it to people around you and take a step out in faith and follow him. And sometimes I feel like, you know, I don't know if I have that kind of faith. I don't know if I can can fully just put all this other stuff aside and, and just go 100% towards Jesus. But when you make that step without knowing what's ahead of you, that's how your faith grows you decide to make that step and follow him. And you'll see how he can take even an unlikely person and, and qualify you. And sometimes I compare myself to other believers, right? I'm like, oh, I'm not as charismatic as this person or I'm not as confident as this person. But he will take you as you are because he doesn't want your perfection. He doesn't want your performance. He doesn't want your... your um, He's not looking for the most talented or the most educated. He's just looking for you and your obedience to him. So as we enter into um, this time of worship and communion, I encourage you to come up and receive prayer or pray with the people around you about what God is calling you into.